following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. As I went down in the river to pray, studying about that good old way, and who shall wear the starry crown? Good Lord, show me the way. Oh, sisters, let's go down, let's go down, come on down. Oh, sisters, let's go down, down in the river to pray. As I went down in the river to pray, studying about that good old way, and who shall wear the robe and crown? Good Lord, show me the way. Oh, brothers, let's go down, let's go down, come on down. Come on, brothers, let's go down, down in the river to pray. As I went down in the river to pray, studying about that good old way, and who shall wear the starry crown, good Lord, show me the way. Oh, fathers, let's go down, let's go down, come on down. Oh, fathers, let's go down, down in the river to As I went down in the river to pray, studying about that good old way, and who shall wear the robe and crown? Good Lord, show me the way. Oh, mothers, let's go down. Come on down, don't you want to go down? Come on, mothers, let's go down, down in the river to pray. As I went down in the river to pray, studying about that good old way, and who shall wear the starry crown? Good Lord, show me the way. Oh, sinners, let's go down, let's go down, come on down. Oh, sinners, let's go down, down in the river to As I went down in the river to pray, studying about that good old way, and who shall wear the robe and crown, good Lord, show me the way. Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley. I pastor the National Prayer Chapel in Woodbridge, Virginia just coming back from a fantastic honeymoon. Last week we went to Williamsburg, Virginia and had such a wonderful time visiting all the historical sites, Yorktown, Williamsburg, but also a wonderful time just enjoying each other's company, reading the scriptures, praying, God has given me a wonderful helpmate, Alexandra. I praise God for his gift to me. And the help she will be on this broadcast and in the work of the gospel ministry. God has called her sovereignly, wonderfully, out of darkness into the light, 
And now for some years she has walked with Jesus, faithfully walked with Jesus. I rejoice today in all of your wonderful cards and letters. Thank you. And thank you for the gifts. You are our family. We praise God for you. If you're just joining this broadcast, perhaps for the first time, this is a a broadcast of very plain and simple speech. I have only one agenda, that you would leave yourself and go to Jesus. Not that you would leave yourself and go to church, not that you would leave yourself and reform yourself, No, my only interest is that you leave yourself and go to Jesus. He is everything, everything. All wisdom is found in Jesus Christ. There's a story in the scripture that we've been speaking about. It's been dealing with my heart, and I pray it will deal with your heart today. Let's pray. Lord, as we come to this radio broadcast, let my speech be very plain and very simple, but let it be also very direct. America is in trouble, Lord God, because of our wickedness, because we have turned aside from you. We have followed wicked ways, and in Deuteronomy you said that if a people would leave you, renounce you, cast you aside and begin to follow the lust of their own heart, of their own flesh, that serious judgments would fall that would destroy them. And Lord, I know your judgments are already being poured out on this nation, whether it be the fires of the Napa Valley or the hurricanes of Florida or Louisiana, whether it be the drought the pestilence, the disease, the homosexuality, all of these things you identify in your word as judgments that come from your hand to warn a nation to turn aside before final destruction is poured out upon them. Lord, I know that you will bring invaders into this land. Our cities will be destroyed. This nation will be captured. And we will see destruction on every side if we do not repent of our wickedness. And Lord, this wickedness has been allowed to come because Christians were fat and happy and lazy and absorbed in their lifestyle of Americanism. Lord, awaken us. Send revival. Send revival now. Lord, I plead with you today for revival in America to turn us from this godlessness. Lord, we've been so comfortable in what we know, and yet what we know has been so shallow and so useless that many listening to this broadcast today actually believe they can walk in their sin and still be saved. Lord, this Gnostic belief that you can be 
in your sin and in Jesus at the same time. Lord, it is abominable. It is wickedness. I pray you will confound the wisdom of the wise and that you will cause men and women today, now, to repent of their sin and to turn to you. I pray in the name of Jesus, pleading for your blood over this broadcast, pleading for your Holy Spirit power over this broadcast now to pierce the hearts of those listening. In the name of Jesus, amen. In the book of Acts, in the second chapter, we find the story of Pentecost. And after Pentecost has come, some men say they're just drunk. Now, if you begin to be serious about Jesus, they're going to call you a fanatic, a drunkard. They're going to say you're out of your mind. Of course, that's looking at it from the wickedness of the flesh. The Apostle Peter comes and says, it's proper for me to speak to you with plainness of speech. I'm going to be very plain in my speech today. Verse 36, Beyond a doubt, all the house of Israel must know that God declared him, that Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now having heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? The greatest problem the church has in America today is that no one wants to speak plainly about what is very plain before us. And so no hearts are pierced, and everything goes on, the party goes on, the church goes on, asleep and dead and powerless, working up a flesh excitement, providing flesh entertainment, the pastor being very careful not to offend, lest someone withdraw their tithe money, their offerings. I cannot be like that with you. I must be very plain of speech, and your heart must be pierced if you are going to have a life in Jesus Christ. Now most, unfortunately, live out their Christian life from the flesh, from the human heart. What do I mean? I mean many of you listening to this broadcast will go to church you will have a, a form of religion, but you will never win another person to Jesus Christ. And you will have all manner of excuses for why you have never won anyone. A very intelligent attorney that I confronted over this issue said to me, Pastor, everyone is not meant to save souls. You're a pastor. You're meant to save souls. I'm an attorney. I'm not meant to save souls. It's not my gift. It's not my skill. I said, my brother, 
Jesus only gave one call, and that was to be fishers of men. He only gave one commission, and that was to make disciples of all nations, teaching them what Jesus taught. If you don't fall within the category of being a fisher of men and women, if you don't fall within the category of proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ, then you are a Christian in the flesh, but not in the spirit. For Jesus said in John 15 that if you abide in me, you will bear much fruit. If you are not bearing much fruit, it's because you are abiding in yourself and visiting Jesus. But your base of operation is your own flesh. And you will try to reform it. You will try to change it. You will try to be the best you can be in your flesh but it does not count with Jesus. The Apostle Peter said to these people, you crucified Jesus. It was you who crucified Jesus. Well, they're pierced. They cry out, well, what must we do? And Peter, in verse 18, said to them, you must repent. And every one of you must be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. That is, aphemy, meaning the removal of all sin. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This was not just for the apostles. Listen, because the promise is for you and for your children and for all the ones at a distance, as many as the Lord our God may call. And with many other words, he was warning and exhorting, saying, you must be saved from this crooked generation. You must be saved from this crooked generation. I had a dear friend who wanted to open a restaurant. Now, he was already working as a waiter in another restaurant. He was making very good money, but he decided he would like to have his own operation, a small operation, some sandwiches, different kinds of drinks, something very simple, some salads, not something complicated where you go to the order the the counter and you make your order and then you can go sit down and you can take your food with you or they'll deliver it to your table and so he began to look for a place he finally found what he thought was just the perfect location he negotiated with the owners and finally was able to rent that property after he signed the lease he discovered that there was a serious inner plumbing problem that was, according to the lease, the responsibility of the owners. But it was an expensive repair. And so he went to the owners and they said, we're sorry, we're not going to fix it. But the health department would not pass the inspection for the restaurant and he was stuck with the lease. Well, as it worked out, some friends were willing. They owned a plumbing company. They stepped in. They dug some six feet down through the concrete, 
got to the source of the problem where the pipe had been broken and where weeds had broken it, they got in and they repaired that whole plumbing situation and did not charge him. So it seemed like he was now on his way and he was a very happy man. But of course, there were advertising expenses. There were hidden expenses that he'd never counted. And he soon was $50,000 into this project. So now he was working at the restaurant that was his regular job. He was trying to go to his place and work, but he was only one man. And somehow the restaurant where he was working was more attractive to him because it was a a sure source of good money. And this project that he started on, he finally recognized he could not be there the way he needed to be there constantly as it was open to manage it and run it. And he didn't have the money to pay all the staff. And the staff he could get were not trained. And he didn't have time to train them. Finally, in disgust, he canceled the project and went to the owners and said, I've spent now almost $60,000 on this project. You would not repair the plumbing. So if you want to sue me for the rest of the lease, go ahead. I'm going to sue you for the $60,000 plus damages. They finally decided they would settle and neither one owed either one any money. And the project closed. Except this man had lost $60,000. Well, why did that project fail? Was it a good idea? Was it a good concept? Absolutely. Was it a project that should have worked long term? Absolutely. What was the problem? Well, the problem was he didn't see himself in his identity as an owner of that little restaurant. Instead, he saw himself associated with another restaurant. He never cut his ties there. So he tried doing both. And finally, in frustration, he said, I have to go where the money is. One is a drain on my money, and the other? The other is a wonderful source of prosperity for me. Now, many of you have to answer some very serious questions about your journey with Jesus. I want to ask you three questions that will help you today determine whether you're walking in the flesh as a Christian or as a non-Christian and whether or not you are really sold out and following Jesus. Number one, are you willing to be inconvenienced for the gospel of Jesus? Are you willing to change jobs, drive long distances? Are you willing to be where the Holy Spirit calls you to be? Are you willing to do what the Holy Spirit calls you to do? Now, I recognize that just saying that to you, many of you will not even begin to understand 
what I mean by what is the Holy Spirit calling you to do because you have walked so long in your flesh and Christianity has been an add-on. It's been an add-on project in your life of self-improvement. But essentially, you don't have the Holy Spirit speaking to you anymore. In fact, some of you don't even believe the Holy Spirit will speak to you today. Jesus said, my sheep know my voice. And so I recognize that some of you will not inconvenience yourself to come to the National Prayer Chapel. Some of you will not change jobs if necessary. You will not lay everything down for revival of godliness in America, even though you recognize that if there is not a dramatic change in America, America is doomed. But you don't understand that that radical change must begin with you. You must change. America will not be changed by a president or a congressman or senator or governor. It will not be changed by a political approach. It must be changed by a moral approach. And that change has to begin with you. But if you are anchored to your job, to your J-O-B, if you are anchored to your comfortable lifestyle, if you are anchored to only serving Jesus in your spare time, then you have crucified Jesus Christ. You are a Christian in the flesh, but you are not a Christian in the spirit. And number two, am I willing to be spent for the gospel of Jesus? When you see that the gospel of Jesus is draining your family resources, are you going to pull back? When you see that your time is being consumed by the gospel of Jesus? Will you pull back and say, oh, I can't spend that amount of time? I mean, I can recall reading instances of revival where people were involved five nights a week. Reese Howells, in the book The Intercessor by Norman Grubb, was a coal miner, was a tin miner, he worked at the face of the mine, the toughest place to work. He would put in a 12-hour day. He would come home, and he would prepare himself after washing and eating. He would walk a couple miles to the meeting house, and then he would lead a revival meeting until late into the night and get up the next morning and do it all over again. He was totally sold out to do what Jesus called him to do. And not only that, the miners that he worked with 
came to the revival meetings and were converted because of the testimony of his hard work in the mine, because of his integrity, because of his willingness to sacrifice himself. He worked for Jesus. He didn't work for the coal mine. He was where Jesus called him to be. But he recognized that Jesus Christ was first. Does that describe your life? Would you be willing to spend four or five nights a week at the church meeting house in revival, ministering to the spiritual needs of others, and would the people you work with be converted and come and be a part of it also? Or is Sunday enough for you? Or Saturday enough for you? Maybe once or twice a month, is that enough for you? Are you willing to be spent for the gospel of Jesus Christ? Are you going it alone? Are you an integral part of the Christian brothers and sisters who are absolutely sold out to follow Jesus Christ? Are you willing to be spent financially, physically, emotionally for the gospel of Jesus Christ? Now, number three, are you willing to give up the rewards of the world, the flesh, and the devil? Or are you only willing to serve Jesus as long as he is answering your prayers for healing or a job or a wife or prosperity? Are you serving Jesus for what you can get? Or are you serving Jesus for what you can give? Now you recognize as I ask you these questions how serious they are. And if you are serving out of the flesh and being a Christian, so-called out of the flesh, you're going to say no to all three of these questions. You don't want to be inconvenienced by the gospel of Jesus. You want a nice, comfortable, cultural church where you can go and sit and listen, hear some, some music, get some inspiration, shed a few tears, have a few good laughs, socialize after a short 15-minute sermon, enjoy the coffee and donuts, enjoy talking together with the other guys about the latest sports activities. If that's your life, You're a Christian so-called out of the flesh, not out of the spirit of the living God. So what is salvation? 
Salvation simply consists in being drawn from yourself to Jesus. That is salvation. Salvation does not consist in a man reforming himself, not in eliminating certain things from his life, not in revamping his schedule, not in repainting himself as a new person. Salvation is just exactly the opposite of what the great mass of people in America think it is. It is not man-made dreams. Salvation is divine, it is supernatural, and it is revealed to men in order to draw men from themselves. Our salvation, if we have it, is simply drawing ourselves from ourselves to Jesus. That is salvation. Instead of trying to reform yourself and patch yourself up, it's going to God. Now, man's purpose or man's work, it can be applied to salvation. Salvation consists in saving a person from their own work, their own wisdom, their own power, their own greatness, his own glory, his own self-esteem, his own righteousness, his own piety, his own little church, his own little God. You know, every man, every woman has a God. We all have a little church one we've manufactured, a little creed, a little God, a little church, a little idol, a little righteousness, a little wisdom. (laughs) Salvation literally is drawing man from his own God to the true God of heaven, drawing a man from his own dreams, his own ideas, his own purposes, from his own righteousness drawing a man to Jesus. There is in every one of us an instinct to work ourselves or to bring ourselves into some kind of salvation. It is instinctive in man to work ourselves into a pardon. Probably the most difficult part of this ministry that I have is to help you understand that salvation is supernatural. It is not coming out of the human heart. It's coming out of the heart of God. How do I help you understand I'm not sure how even to say this to you. How to help you understand that salvation is going to Jesus 
and letting go of everything in my own life so that the controlling principle of my heart is my love and devotion to Jesus. My soul is sick within me and my eyes are filled with tears when I see so many of you doing so much in the flesh thinking that by going to church or getting baptized or confirmed that that has any ability to save your soul there is a place where we must come to understand that Jesus Christ cannot be bought but he is willing to give himself to you he is above being bought he says I give you my blood and I will give you my cleansing I will give you my salvation I will give you myself but you cannot buy me I'm not in the market to be sold. There is no quid pro quid, prid, quid pro quo. There is no deal making with God. There is no deal making that says, okay, Jesus, I will follow you, but you must give me this job. Jesus, I will follow you, but you must give me this house or this car. I will follow you, Jesus, but you must give me a wife. You cannot bargain with God. You cannot traffic in the blood of Jesus Christ. He is not a man who would barter away even his old clothes, putting them on consignment. When you know the Lord, you will know that God cannot be bought, but he is willing to give you everything. If you want a clean heart, you simply have to lay aside all of your own merit all of your own ability, all of your own righteousness, all of your own wisdom, all of your good works, all of your glory. You come to God naked, you come empty-handed, and you receive it as a free gift. You can do that right now as I'm speaking with you. Salvation is intended to save man from his own works. God reveals himself in order to draw us away from ourselves. Now here's the problem we face. We have become so accustomed, our habits have become so ingrained, our sense of what is 
our duty has become so Americanized that we fail to see that our duty to God is to totally give ourselves to Him and allow Him to shape in us what He desires. And if you say, but oh, I must have this job, I must pay my bills, and God cannot arrange for a job, and God is not doing this, as one man said to me, there is the gift of faith where I wait on God. And then there is the gift of moving out in power to do what God calls me to do. I come to preach to you on the radio. I don't do this out of a sense of pride I'm the least of all of God's people. I don't come out of a sense of, I have to build something. I have to prove something. Many people speak very disparagingly of me because I don't live according to their demands and expectations. I can't. I rise or fall on my commitment to Jesus Christ, to leaving behind all of my own plans and all of my own ideas and serving Jesus alone. So when I come into a meeting... I want to look around the meeting house and I want to see people I can speak with who have utterly sold themselves to Jesus Christ. Men in the flesh will add Jesus to their already full life. And so they can allot Jesus a certain amount of time, energy, and money. Beyond that, they cannot allot anything more to Jesus because it will begin to pinch them in their doing their wash. One man said, I can't come to church this Sunday because I have so many things I need to do. I've got to do my washing. I've got to do this and this and this. And he had no time to come to the house of God. I'm very concerned for his salvation because he doesn't understand yet that he doesn't have a life outside of Jesus Christ. And if he has a life outside of Jesus, he is walking in the flesh and trying to add Jesus to his life. The whole picture of a Christian is one who is crucified with Christ. Remember, Paul saying this. The book of Galatians. Let me turn quickly to it. In Galatians, 
me read this. Now I say, you must walk in the Spirit, and you absolutely cannot fulfill the lust of the flesh, i.e. the fallen nature. Now the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. Indeed, these things oppose each other, so that you may not do these things that you may desire. If you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Galatians the fifth chapter, verse 16. Now the works of the flesh, verse 19, are these manifestations, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, indecency, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, strife, dissensions, false teachings, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and things similar to these things which I told you before, even as I said before, the ones practicing such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So if you're if you're walking in the flesh, you're going to struggle with these things. Now listen to what Paul says in Galatians 2. I'll begin with verse 18. Now if the things which I destroyed by accepting Christ... So in other words, there's something that gets destroyed when I accept Jesus. What is it that gets destroyed? It's the fleshlight life. It's the, it's the natural world life. It's the world lifestyle. It gets destroyed. Now, if the things which I destroy by accepting Christ, these things I build again by acting as a Jew, I show myself as a transgressor. For because of the law, I died to the law in order that I may live for God. Now, I have been crucified with Christ and still am. In other words, from that point on, he is always crucified with Christ. On the other hand, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And that life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. In other words, the life I now live in my body, I live by faith in Jesus. Once having loved me, having handed himself over in my behalf. Now please, do you understand what I'm saying to you today? Let's get very plain and very simple. You cannot have the world and Jesus too. And you cannot have Jesus all by himself. Salvation is found in the church. Salvation is found in the body of Christ. There is the body of the devil with the flesh. There is the body of Christ and the church. It's through the church that God intends to bring all things together in unity under Jesus, unified in Jesus. A man says, 
Yes, I'll follow Jesus. And then off he goes as a lone ranger. He's not a part of church. He's easy pickings for the devil. Because he still lives in his family of unbelief. He still lives in his American family of cultural deadness. And then what happens even more tragically is that church becomes a culture of deadness where no new Christians are being born. It's a culture of ritual. It's a culture of deadness. So what chance does a man have today of being saved? Very slim. Many are called, but few are chosen. I do not hold out a great deal of expectation for your salvation. I cry out to the Lord for you, but I do not hold a great deal of expectation for your salvation. Because as long as you continue to walk, refusing to be spent for the gospel of Jesus, refusing to be inconvenienced for the gospel, bargaining with God, not a part of a church that is walking without sin, not a part of a church that glorifies and worships Jesus, I mean the Jesus of Scripture, not the Jesus of American culture. They're not the same Jesus. The Jesus of Scripture is righteous and holy, and he makes us righteous and holy. So Peter comes and he speaks to these people and he says, You have crucified Jesus. I come to you today and say, My brother, my sister, you too have crucified Jesus. You too have crucified Jesus. And if you look in Hebrews, the sixth chapter, let me turn there quickly. Hebrews, the sixth chapter. Now to the ones in verse 4, the ones having been enlightened, having both experienced the heavenly gift and having been made partakers of the Holy Spirit, and having experienced the good rhema from God and the powers of the coming age, and then having fallen away, it is impossible to renew them again to repentance as they are continuing to crucify to themselves the Son of God and continuing to put him to open shame. Why is it difficult for them to be saved? Are they committing the unpardonable sin? Absolutely not. The reason it's so hard to save them is because they continue to crucify to themselves Jesus, the Son of God, and put him to open shame by their worldliness and their lack of commitment and of concern for God. Does that describe your life today? Are you continuing to walk in sin, crucifying afresh Jesus, making excuses for yourself? 
Are you willing to pay the price to be spent for Jesus? Are you willing to be divorced from yourself and united to Jesus Christ totally, fully, completely? And then, of course, you recognize that after you come to Jesus, you begin to discover perhaps things in your soul that you've brought in In conversion, you were washed, you were cleansed, your sin was forgiven. But then things begin to arise in your heart that are attractive to you. And you begin to have a temper again, and you begin to go the way of darkness. And old things begin to flow out of your heart again, and you begin to rebuild those things. But now you have the covering of Jesus in your mind. Look, there's only one way for you to be entirely sanctified. There's only one way for you to be saved. To utterly leave yourself and go to Jesus Christ and be unified with him in purpose, unified with him in emotion, unified one mind with Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. I fear for you. I'm afraid many of you have religion and you have a form of godliness but you have no power to win the lost. You have no power to walk righteous before God. You have no cry in your heart. You don't desire to spend time reading the scriptures and praying. You don't weep for the lost. You are piercing Jesus Christ afresh. You are crucifying him to yourself. Revival means, again, we are called out of ourselves to Jesus. And again, he becomes the most beautiful thing in our heart, in our life. He is so large and we are so small that all we can see is Jesus. All the anger is wiped away. All of the arguments are removed. I talk with people all the time who say, oh, it's so hard to follow Jesus. Well, that's as this man who tried to do two restaurants. You can't do two restaurants. You can't do two masters. You will either serve Jesus or you will serve money. You cannot serve two masters. So most of you are content to serve two masters with Jesus being subservient in your mind, in your heart, to earning money, carrying on all of the social responsibilities and relationships necessary to have a place of of recognition. You have to decide. You must repent. And you must lay aside every interest, 
and make it subordinate to Jesus Christ. Every interest must be laid on the altar. You must be laid on the altar as a living sacrifice before God, and then it is easy to serve Jesus. So what will you do today? Will you repent and have your sins removed and receive the fullness of the Holy Spirit? Almighty God, I plead today for your people. I plead today for revival. Lord Jesus, come. I pray in your holy name. Amen. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley, the pastor of the National Prayer Chapel. I'd love to hear from you. Write to me at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. Or go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com. You'll find on that webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com, a place to donate our worship locations, our meeting times. Are you willing to lay your life down and follow Jesus? God bless you. I love you. I'll talk to you soon.